Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Hello and welcome to Calvary Live. I am your host for today, Nate Morris. I'm filling in for Pastor Ed. Uh, I am the lead pastor at Mountain Life Calvary Chapel, which is in Vail, Colorado, and uh, happy to be on the program with you today. This is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible, questions about God, uh, theology. You can also call us with your prayer requests. If you've got something going on in your life that you would like to get some prayer for, uh, would love to pray with you, would love to uh, bring those things before the Lord. God answers prayer. Um, in fact, that's something we're going to talk about here in just a second, but uh, would love to pray with you today for sure. If you've got a question about a cult or maybe the church that you've been going to started teaching something that seems weird to you and you'd like to ask about whether uh, that is indeed biblical or not, I would love to examine those things with you and turn to the scriptures and just see what the Lord has to say about those things. So um, if you'd like to call in, we would love to have you. You can call us at 303-690-3000. We've got open lines right now. The number to call is 303-690-3000. Or you can text your questions or your prayer requests to 720-336-3000. 0897. Once again, that text line is 720-336-0897. Or you can call us at 303-690-3000. want to make sure to get that phone number out a bunch at the beginning of the show uh, so that those who would like to call in have the opportunity to do that. Yesterday, we had a very, very full packed uh, show, lots of calls. It was awesome. Just a great conversations. Um, would love to do the same today. So once again, you can call us at 303-690-3000 or text 720-336-0897. And just uh, sharing a little bit today, um, I was reading a devotional this morning from Pastor Greg Laurie. It was a great just little brief devotional, but he was pointing out something in Daniel chapter 10 that I thought was really cool. Um, Daniel chapter 10, if you're not familiar with the book of Daniel, it's a great read. The The first half is kind of history. The second half is prophecy. Um, it's a really, really great book. I love the book of Daniel. And there's some so much encouragement in there, but there's also a lot of biblical prophecy in there that it, it kind of really satisfies both sides of, for me anyways, um, the way that I like to study scripture. There's the the narrative and the the hand of God moving, and then there's the prophecy and the the brainy stuff that you want to dig into and learn more about the future. It's, it's an amazing book. So in Daniel chapter 10, Daniel is um, praying. He He's praying and fasting. He's concerned about his people and about what's going to happen with his people because they've been in captivity uh, for a very long time. And he's praying for three full weeks, it says in the first part of Daniel chapter 10. He's mourning for three full weeks. He says, I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. So basically he didn't take a bath. uh, He didn't eat 
much. It doesn't say that he fasted completely, but he was basically fasting for three weeks. And you can imagine at the end of three weeks of praying and fasting, he would be a pretty uh, emotional, stinky mess. <laughs> but that's what he was doing. And um, on the 24th day of the first month, he says he was by the side of the, the Tigris River. And he, in that moment, as he's been praying for three weeks, 21 days, he looks up and he sees a man clothed in linen. And essentially, this is an angel. We, we see that as we go further along in um, the book here, in the, in the chapter here. But Daniel is there. The people that are with Daniel don't see the vision, but they got totally afraid something happened where it just caused them to run away and so he's there he's looking up and he sees this angel and the angel reaches out and touches him and it says this in uh daniel chapter 10 verse 11 he says oh daniel man greatly beloved understand the words that i speak to you and stand up for i have been sent to you and while he was speaking this word to me i stood trembling then he said to me do not fear daniel for from the first day you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. So we'll pause there for just a second. Daniel um, is praying for three weeks, crying out to God, fasting, just in this spot where he says, my vigor was turned to frailty and I retained no strength. He was just brokenhearted over his people, Israel, praying to God, asking God for an answer. And then at the end of three weeks, 21 days, this, this angel comes and says, hey, I heard your, God heard your words. And from the first day that you started to pray, your words were heard and I have come because of those words. But then in verse 13, this is what he says. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia, which is speaking of a, a, an angelic being, this one would be a demon, um, withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. And now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days. For the revision refers to many days yet to come. And so this angel says, I was dispatched. I was sent the moment that you prayed your prayer. But I got held up for three weeks, for 21 days. And as I was held up, I was in this battle, this spiritual battle with this demonic being until Michael, the archangel, came and helped me. And now I've come to you. And I was just, you know, as you, thinking about this section of scripture, I think a lot of times we can pray for things and maybe we don't see the resolution right away. And we're wondering what's going on. How do I know uh, if this is, if God's going to move in this? And we just get to that spot of desperation, kind of like Daniel did. You know, sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers as quickly as we would like him to. But the thing that I thought that was great that um, Greg Laurie pointed out in this Devo this morning was that delays are not necessarily denials. Okay, I'll say that again. Delays are not necessarily denials. Just because God delays the direct answer to your prayer doesn't mean he's denying your prayer. When we pray and we don't see an answer, it might be the result of circumstances we can't see. It could be a spiritual battle like what we see in Daniel chapter 10. It could be that God's waiting for you to be ready for that answer to that prayer. It could be that God's working in somebody else's life to bring an answer to that prayer. But a delay doesn't equal a denial. And so we want to keep pressing on and keep asking and seeking and knocking as it talks about in Matthew chapter 7 that ask and keep asking and keep seeking and keep knocking. When you ask, he will answer. And see, the reality is that God answers 
every one of our prayers. There's never a prayer that's unanswered. The answer may not be yes. It might be a no. It might also be a not yet, just like the, the answer that Daniel was receiving for the first 21 days of his praying. But the answer is coming. God answers every prayer. And his answer, whatever his answer is, is always what's best for you and for the person you're praying for. So I uh, hope that encourages you today. Uh, just as we seek to be people of prayer, as we seek to bring our requests before the Lord, to keep asking and seeking and knocking, knowing that God delights in our prayers and he wants to, to hear from us. So um, I would like to just give you an invitation again. If you would like prayer today, or if you have a question about the Bible or a question about anything that has come to your mind recently, we'd love to talk about those things. You can call us at 303-690-3000, or you can text 720-336-0897. Once again, you can call us at 303 690 or text 720-336-0897. All right, I would like to go to Rick on line one. Rick, welcome to the program. Yes, Pastor. Uh, my name is Rick from Aurora. I have a question about I read on the Deuteronomy, Proverbs, and uh, Revelation chapter 22 about adding and subtracting the Word of God. And why is that one? So your question is about anyone adds or subtracts from the Word of God. Um, Correct. Yeah. So What's why does it say that? Or what does it mean? Yes, please. Okay, yeah, absolutely. So what you're talking about is from Revelation chapter 22. And so uh, anybody who's listening and you'd like to, to look into this a little bit more, you can go to Revelation chapter 22, and this is where it speaks to this. And um, I will just read that section of scripture for us before we talk about it. So Revelation chapter 22, starting in verse 18. And this is what it says. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, speaking of the book of Revelation, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take his part away from the book of life from the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. And it's a warning for uh, those who would tamper specifically with the book of Revelation, but I think it also applies to the rest of scripture as well. What he's saying is if you're adding to the word of God, uh, you are stepping outside of God's will, his revealed will and the, his revealed word that he's given us. And so it's a something that we should strive not to do it's a it's it's we want to take the bible and the word of god very seriously and um hold it on a high level because it is it's the word of god and so when he says if you add to this i'm gonna add the plagues to you in this book essentially it's a warning saying don't add to or take away from the word of god don't don't add your own thoughts or don't see things that you just don't seem to like and pull those out uh, now, this warning specifically applies to the book of Revelation. It's speaking about that book specifically. So when people are adding to that or taking away from that, and I think we see people adding to and taking away from the book of Revelation a lot in our day. I think we see people adding things that it doesn't say uh, and meanings that it doesn't communicate in many ways, especially when you see someone that likes to set 
dates that Jesus is going to come back or dates that the tribulation will start or that date setting idea, uh, that's adding to the word of God. It's adding to the book of Revelation, the, the, the revealed word of God. That's something that I wouldn't want to be guilty of doing. You also see people take away from it in that people will say, well, I don't think it really means this. We're going to just kind of ignore that part and pretend like it's not there. And so it's important that we don't do that. Now, it specifically applies to the book of Revelation, but it also extends, in my opinion, to the rest of the word of God as well. Just the, the, the heart is intentionally distorting God's word. And this is, uh, you know, Moses gave a similar warning to this when in Deuteronomy chapter four, he cautioned the Israelites that they have to listen and obey the commandments of the Lord, neither taking away nor adding to his revealed word. And so we want to be those who stick to what it says and not add anything and not take anything away. Does that answer your question there, Rick? Oh, yes, sir. And I appreciate your time. And thank you very much. God bless you. Yeah, thank, thank you. you for calling in. Really appreciate it. And also the healing for uh, my brother-in-law, Pip. Please. What's your What's your brother's name? Uh, Pip, P-I-P. Okay, Pete. Okay, yes. Let's pray for him right now. Lord, we come before you and lift up Pete to you, Lord, and just ask for your healing over his body. Um, whatever it is that's going on, Lord, you know it. You um, are working even now in his body, Lord. We pray for healing over him. Lord, we trust him to you. We know that you can do anything you want to do. And just as we learned earlier, Lord, we, we know that you always answer our prayers. It's not always the way we think it should be, but Lord, we submit it to you and ask you to move in his life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Pastor. God bless you. Amen. Yes, God bless you. Thanks for calling in. Yeah, I think it's, a, I'm glad he called and shared that that question because I think it's such an important thing in our day to day that we understand how important it is that we don't add to or take away from the word of God, including the book of Revelation. And, you know, personally, I'm not a person as an individual. I don't get all geeked out on eschatology. Eschatology is the study of the end times. And so for me, I mean, I, I know what I believe and I've studied it and I, I've studied it extensively because of shows like this where I have to answer questions for people, but I don't really get all geeked out on it and really dig into it and want to find out the answers to it personally. But for me, I've had to say, okay, I don't want to take away from the word of God. So I'm going to make sure I study this to really show myself approved, a workman rightly dividing the word of truth. And so that, that's one way that we take away from the word of God. And then on the other side, anytime we add anything to the word of God, we are on dangerous ground. And so I think that's a, a good warning for all of us that we want to be careful to be those who are people of the book people of the book, sticking close to the word of God. All right. Would love to have you uh, call in on the show today. Would love to answer your questions or pray with you. If you'd like to call us today, you can call 303-690-3000. Once again, that number is 303-690-3000. Or you can text the number 720-336-0897. Once again, the text line is 720-336-0897. 0897. Looks like we've got one line open, two lines full. So if you'd like to call now is a good time to do that. I'd like to go to Dan on line two. Dan, welcome to the program. Hey, I appreciate it. Uh, what a segue. I, 
I just wanted you to know I'm not geek. My question is uh, in the book of Revelation, and it's about prophecy, and I'm not yeah. geeking out on it either. I just was curious. Um, it talks about... Well, let me- let me clarify before you say that. There's there's nothing wrong with geeking out on that stuff. <laughs> no. I, I, you hit the nail on the head. The important part is uh, being in love with Jesus and, and being saved and, and knowing that we are living in a world where uh, those things that are future yet that have to happen are going to be long after we're raptured. And, and, and so that, that, is, that is the goal for us to just be living right now and looking up now and being ready mm-hmm. for the return of Jesus Christ. So it's not its not that it's uh, important to me. I was just curious. My question was out of curiosity, reading in Revelation where it talks about the judgments and, and during the tribulation and all the things that happen. I know that it talks about how the armies are gathered together around the city uh, for the great day of the Lord, the battle, and they're gathered in the valley of Armageddon, Megiddo or Armageddon or whatever, mm-hmm. but I also when I re- when I read, I know that the Antichrist and the and the false prophet are cast into the pit, and it says that Satan is cast into the pit where they have been. So we know that that hell is a, a literal place. It's it's some place where where the Antichrist and the and the false prophet have been. That's where Satan is cast. But it says he is bound been for a thousand years. So in my mind, that thousand years that he is bound would relate to the millennial reign. And at the end of that millennial reign, it says that Satan is released for a short time, and then he is destroyed. So my question is, the Battle of Armageddon, is Mm -hmm. it pre-millennial reign or is it post-millennial reign? I don't know. Yeah, that's a great question. And again, as I said before, I don't have any problem with anybody geeking out on this stuff. I have friends who are so into eschatology. It's just personally, my my own personal bent is not to geek out on that. I I, I study it because I believe that God wants me to know, and so uh, so I want to make sure I'm not taken away from that. And I think it's exactly what you said. I I agree. So when it comes to the Battle of Armageddon, my personal opinion and my personal ab- belief is that. The Armageddon happens towards the end of the tribulation. Now, when you look through the biblical timeline, you see this coming, and it's uh, really, in my opinion, when the sixth bowl judgment is poured out on the earth. And you see this in, um, let's see, where it says, pull this up here. Revelation chapter 16, um, you see the, the, the mention of the Battle of Armageddon, right? Which is, it says, the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And then I saw three impure spirits that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are demonic spirits that perform signs, and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the great battle on the great day of God Almighty. Then they gather the kings together to the place that is in Hebrew called Armageddon. And so Armageddon is actually a place. So the battle of Armageddon is just a battle that occurs at a place. And the Hebrew word for Armageddon is Har Megiddon, which means Mount Megiddo, which is the predicted location of that battle. And so it's going to be basically a battle that takes place 
during the sixth bowl judgment on the earth. And uh, if it's the only place that really specifically refers to it is there in Revelation chapter 16, that Revelation 16, 12 through 16 that I just read. Um, and it talks about it being specifically during the sixth bowl judgment. If you fast forward a couple chapters, Revelation chapter 19, you see a battle uh, that occurs at Christ's second coming as you know he's conquering and defeating the Antichrist. I think this is a description of the battle that took place in Revelation chapter 16. When you read that, it's, you know, it's the picture that we all get of Jesus coming back. I, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. And as he comes, he defeats the enemy, right? He defeats the Antichrist. This is to me a picture of what's going on in Revelation chapter 16 that we see just kind of zoomed out. Now it's zooming in a little bit in Revelation chapter 19. So I, I think from my understanding, reading through the book of Revelation, the battle of Armageddon takes place before Jesus comes and establishes his reign, which is at the end of that battle, at the end of that second coming that he comes and essentially establishes the millennial kingdom. Um, that's my opinion, though. I, I don't know if that makes sense to you. It, it does. It does. It makes perfectly good sense. I mean, it's, it's scripture. It's what's written down. So it, it does make sense. My, and I, I don't want to call it a dilemma because it's not a dilemma. I just went reading further where it talks about how Satan at the end of that thousand years is then released, right? Yeah. And that, that's when he is ultimately destroyed. Uh, and yeah. that's when, when we step into literal eternity where where the great white throne judgment takes place and and it's heaven or hell so so i guess my i just it was curious that it seemed like the reference in the bold judgment was that it was talking about the gathering together but in somehow in my mind i always pictured the battle of armageddon was the was the actual defeat of of satan but it says at the end of that thousand year thousand years he's released and that's when he is ultimately defeated right and you know the when you you're absolutely right that's exactly what it is and the battle of armageddon in in my opinion is not the the final battle uh in fact well it is the final battle in that the last battle the one that you're talking about where satan and it says they go to the four corners of the earth gog and magog to deceive the nations and bring them together for war they get this massive army at the end of the millennial which is crazy to me because uh all these people have been living under a perfect society for a thousand years with jesus ruling as king and yet at the end of the millennium there's still massive armies of people who want to fight against Christ. It just blows my mind, but it just proves the reality of indwelling sin and Satan's influence. And so Satan goes and deceives all these people and brings them together for a battle against Christ. But see, at the end of that, there's no actual battle. The battle of Armageddon, there's a battle that takes place and there's bloodshed and there's all kinds of things. At the end of the the battle, the if you want to call it a battle, at the end of the millennium, God just basically stomps them out. It's just like, and we're done. (laughs) And it's just over, you know? Uh, So I think it's easy to get those kind of mixed up, but I think that the, 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 at the end of the millennium, the battle that takes place there is not so much a battle as it is a God just giving evil its final chance to rear its ugly head. And then he just squashes it out completely without even a battle taking place. Um, It's, they're just defeated and thrown 
into the lake of fire and uh and the end the glorious end is ushered in so that's a great question though i think you know i think a lot of times we can get really when you especially when you're reading through the book the timelines are sometimes hard to understand because themes are repeated just as i said revelation 16 talks about the battle of armageddon but then when you get to revelation 19 is the description of it so um it's sometimes easy to get those kind of mixed up and not know exactly where they go thank you oh i love you brother yeah thank you for your call appreciate you calling in today yep awesome all right well thanks for listening to the program today uh we'll be here on the break in just a minute so i'm going to probably take one more call before we get to the break here just to uh see if we can get another person in there but if you'd like to call us you can call 303-690-3000 or text 720-336-0897 let's go to uh angelique on line three angelique welcome to the program hi hi how are you good good what can we do for you today um, so I kind of just was uh, looking for, like, more clarification. I heard earlier you speaking on, you know, being careful not to add or take away anything from the Bible, and I'm totally on the same track as that. Um, I know that God does instruct us certain things, or things do have certain types of processes for reasons, and reasons for our own good, like to stay away from multiple temptations and just not make it as hard on ourselves, but I just kind of would like some clarification on um, cohabitating and, you know, still remaining to stay absent or whatever the word is, sorry, until marriage, but just the circumstances and the the dynamics that it was, um, you know, the situation's a little different. So I kind of just would kind of like to know the scriptures that, like, reference or back up to that specific Okay. Yeah, totally. So I guess, let me just clarify the question. The question is, uh, is it wrong to cohabitate, to live together as a couple before marriage while maintaining abstinence, but not, not, not being sexually involved? Correct. I think that, um, like it's not, I think that it's like, not orderly and i think that there's like a reason for order but as far as you know specific sin and the depth of it like you know what actual sin it would fall under yeah so i think that there are a couple things with this question and we've only got a couple minutes to the break so if we get to the break i just want to say just hang on and we'll finish it up afterwards okay um no problem but I think it's a great question. So I'll start with strictly speaking, and then I'll kind of move to what I think is probably um, the answer that you're looking for. Now, I think that if we speak of, you know, strictly speaking, uh, an unmarried man and an unmarried woman living in the same house or apartment, there's nothing specifically laid out in scripture that that is sinful as long as there's no, you know, um, sexual activity engaged in that. But uh, I think that there are lots of reasons that it's not wise to do that. And I would say that there are reasons that it's not a good witness to do that. 
Now, right, um, and I, I do kind of, you can go into that, but also I do realize that I've been, I've been saved for 12 years and I, you know, I really, really love the word of God and I, I study it a lot. So I know that the breakdown of like the, the temptations, the lust, the, the example it sets, mm-hmm. you know, especially to children, kind of settling for certain things. And that's why we've been clear with our family and our friends and even the kids about, you know, the right way and how, how it is wrong and stuff, but just more more so looking for the specific, you know, scriptural clarification. Yeah. So um, we're at 30 seconds to the break. So I want you to stick around and I'd love to keep talking with you about this. Um, But hold on just a minute and we'll come right back and we will uh, discuss this a little bit more. And for those of you who are listening in, if you'd like to call in with a question, you can call us at 303-690-3000 or text 720-336-0897. And we will be right back. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Hello, welcome back to Calvary Live. We're so glad that you're listening in today. Uh, I would love to chat with you as well. If you'd like to call in and have a question or you have a prayer request, we'd love to talk about those things. You can call us at 303-690-3000. Once again, the phone number to call is 303-690-3000. Or you can text 720-336-0897. Once again, the text line is 720-336-0897. And before we got to the break, we were uh, talking with Angelique, and Angelique had a question about cohabitation before marriage, specifically for a couple that is not sexually active or sexually engaged, but circumstances essentially putting them in the situation where they are living together, but not, you know, uh, engaged sexually. And is that sin? And what are the specific scriptures regarding that? Um, Did I sum that up pretty well, Angelique? Yes, you did. Okay, cool. Thank you. So, um, so there's a couple sides to this. It sounds like, you know, you know, the, the, the heart behind why we wouldn't want to cohabit before being married, it sounds like you have that understanding already. Um, I think that I would say, let me let me just ask you, let me kind of come about this a different way, and then we'll come back to those scriptures that you want to talk about, because there are some specifically that I think would refer to the reason we don't want to do that. But what what was the circumstance that kind of got you in that position? Was it financial or or? Um, um, yeah, exactly. I had I had actually um, was already moving home from Washington, and there just was absolutely no housing. I mean, there was no other choice, really, and also he's a single father, and so, it, you know, it's really a struggle um, meeting all of the needs, uh, and, you know, even for the sake of the, the kids, it was just the best thing best thing to do, and, you know, I, uh, I think we could, you know, just go down and get married or make it that simple, but... Like, like I said, that's an immediate, immediate goal. And that's, that's kind of, you know, to come very, very soon, but more so just, you know, want to know, like I said, if I'm, if, if I'm like (laughs) doing an abomination or something to that extreme every day, you know? 
Yeah. Now, I, I don't mean to take it take it too personal, but are you guys sleeping and staying in the same room? Um, um no, not for the most part. Like I am in the living room, so you sleep in the living room but, right now. Yeah, but we are on the radio, and I don't know. I yeah, know just I know, <laughs> I know, I know. I don't. I don't want to put it out there too. Much. I just want to kind of just get a little bit more information. So, so here's here's the thing. I think um, I applaud your effort to maintain abstinence and to uh, really honor the Lord with that part of your life. And strictly speaking, is it sinful for you to be in the situation that you're in? Strictly speaking, no. I mean, there's not a biblical scripture that says you cannot live in the same house as a person. I would say, you know, my wife and I had a someone living that was renting from us um, in a, a room, somebody that actually works for me at the church, uh, this younger woman who is our children's ministry direction director she lost her house and had to to find a place to stay she lived with us for about six months and you know she was in the same house as me there you know like strictly speaking was it wrong for her to be here no um i think in your situation it's a little bit different because you're not just a roommate you are you know relationally involved with this person and so that puts the the appearance of immorality on what you guys are doing, even if you're not. So, and what I mean by that is, you know, you come in and out of the house and the neighbors all see, I mean, the, the, the first and greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, it's, which means it's almost just as important, love your neighbor as yourself. So your neighbors who live near you see you coming in and out, the assumption would have to be that you're being sexually involved together. That's just what our, our world assumes. And so for me, I would have a hard time with that because uh, how am I witnessing, which is our primary reason that we're still on the earth as believers is to witness to the gospel. How am I representing Christ to my neighbors and how am I representing his goodness and his love and his really the standard of what he's called us to, to my neighbors. Uh, Ephesians chapter five, verse three comes to mind. You know, it says, but fornication and uncleanness or covetous, let it not be even named among you as is fitting for saints. Essentially what he's saying is we don't even want to be, have that hint of that about us. We want to flee from even the appearance of evil. We want to flee from even the appearance of immorality. And um, that would be the first thing that I would think about right there for me. It would be, I would say, are you in sin directly? Because in your relationship, are you in sin? Maybe strictly speaking, no. But I would say that that would be a situation that I would look to get out of as soon as possible, um, not something to stay in for a long term. On the other side of that, I would think, you know, maybe it, maybe just get married <laughs> you know like you said if if you guys want to be together and it weighs heavy on me every day which is why you know i i kind of just needed to reach out and kind yeah. of at least talk or express it because uh even like a lot of christians these days you know not to say like the term watered down or anything like i i can't even go to them with um questions like this because they they even you know it's always like we'll rise mm -hmm. up and elders you know you got to find different ones and wiser ones but yeah with the way that a lot of things are and a lot of churches are they're not they're they're not gonna really <laughs> give me the truth of it you know like i'm i'm saying from a more they're gonna be more accepting you know they're yeah. gonna be like well 
you know, because so many people already do, like, not even just cohabitate, but actually, you know, uh, engage in sexual activity before marriage who are Christians these these days. And there's a big chunk of us that don't, but right. just, it's just very hard to get to get a counsel um, yeah. behind certain topics. I agree because so many – it's just so accepted in our culture. It's, it's it's expected in our culture. It's not even accepted. But, you know, I saw a uh, a – an article recently that that I don't I'm not saying this is a discouragement to you I think you guys are really trying to honor the Lord and that you're not being involved sexually I think that that is huge and I think that that kind of puts you under this umbrella but I saw that this article that was in um, the Wall Street Journal the other day actually that showed a study that showed that couples who um, basically it, it said young but I don't think young is really the important thing couples who uh, don't live together and sleep together and all of that stuff before they get married are actually 60% less likely to get divorced, um, which is, this was a secular study. This wasn't a Christian study. Now, I think the situation that you're in doesn't necessarily fall under that. I'm not... I just read that like a, a couple, like about a week ago looking up the topic. So. Yeah, which is pretty crazy. I think it's, I mean, it, it kind of goes to show God knows what he's doing when he gives, when he gives this instruction. Right. Now, I'm in agreement. <laughs> yeah. Now, I, I, I just want to pause and say that I think that the fact that you are um, doing it the way that you're doing it and you're wanting to honor the Lord and this is a good thing, I don't want you to leave this call feeling like guilty or something like that necessarily. I think it's more an opportunity for you to say, how do I change the situation to make sure that I'm best honoring the Lord? And how do I make sure that I'm best witnessing to my neighbors through this? And so, you know, I had a couple um, that I married probably six years ago. They were a young couple, just graduated from college. And uh, they they met with me for premarital counseling. And they weren't even living together at the time. And they're like, as we're going through premarital counseling, like, yeah, we're going to move in together before we get married. And I was like, wait a second, you guys are getting married in like six months. Really? You can't like wait just a few more months for that. And like, oh, we're not going to sleep together. And I'm like, well, I mean, come on, let's, let's, you know, you can wait just a little bit longer. Well, the decision, they were, they made it as a financial decision. They wanted to move in together because of the finances involved. And they eventually decided, well, we should just, because we feel like this is something we need to do, we should just get married now and we'll still have our wedding. <laughs> so we did. I married them. They got married a couple of weeks later and then they had their wedding six months later and it was a beautiful wedding, but it was just kind of, uh, it was it was interesting. But I think that sometimes we let our 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 common sense, which may or may not have much to do with faith, get in the way of um, really just choosing to honor the Lord. And, and really the facts are like for this couple or for me or for anybody, um, God can provide what we need, even if we don't see how, you know? And, um, so for you guys, I, my encouragement would be just to really start seeking about, okay, maybe we just need to go ahead and pull the trigger and get married. Or maybe you yeah, find I mean, that's a frequently talked about conversation though. When I say frequent, I mean, you know, frequent, I just, I also am very sensitive to God and to, you know, what he asks. And so yeah. I, I know it's something I wouldn't stay in long and it, it's, it's definitely crystal clear about that, but I also don't want to feel like I need to up and, you know, just leave like tomorrow. Yeah. And so just kind of, you know, like I, I know that God really ultimately, um, you know, values the heart and he does value also commandments and that's very important and stuff. So 
I just think there is some gray areas, you know, and live and being a Christian and 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 uh, living in the world these days, and it's really important to talk about them and you know, kind of navigate through them in a in a Christian and a godly way instead of saying, yeah. you know what, just forget it, and and yeah. you know, doing worse or saying, you know, right. just forget it, and then walking away from the person that I feel like is going to be my future, and not feel like, but I know it's going to be my forever, and if we can just do what we're supposed to do, you know, quickly, yeah. it'll be okay still. Yeah. Yeah. I th- and I think that, I think that that's, I think just the fact that you're calling in is good and all of that. I would just say that the, the one thing that I always talk about with couples that are looking to get married is what do you want your, like, especially with couples, not, not so much in your situation, but when I've met with couples that are sleeping together, um, couples that are, have been involved or living together and sexually involved for a long time, I'll, I'll sit them down and I'll say, what do you want your foundation to be for your marriage? And they'll usually say, we want God to be our foundation. And I'll say, well, okay, that's great, but you've got to make God the foundation, which means honoring him in the way that he's asked us to go about marriage. And so um, so I would say you're on the right track looking for that and really trying to honor God with that. Just in, you, in calling today is a great step in the right direction. Just make that step and say, okay, I'm going to do what the Lord asks and I'm going to trust him. And that's going to be the foundation for our relationship. So whether that means you guys just go get married or whether that means whatever, I don't know, you, you will can sort that out with the Lord and the Holy Spirit. But I think, um, I think you kind of have that insight in your heart already. That's kind of leading you in that direction. So, um, okay. thanks for your call. Perfect. Thanks for calling in well, today. Yeah. I just wanted to let you know really quick because it's so cool there. The license plate in front of me the entire license plate said, I love Jesus. And I've never seen that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, there you go. That's yeah. awesome. Anyway, so cool. thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for calling in today. And that was a great question. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Awesome. Um, yeah. And you know, honestly, with, with her question there, even the fact that they're staying together and not sleeping together is a pretty rare thing. Thing. I think most couples today just move in and um, I applaud her desire to want to honor the Lord. And I think that there's some clear direction in that. And I think um, that God's going to bless that as they choose to honor him with that. Uh, and I think that even the science backs it up. Like I said, that study shows 60% less divorce rate than um, those who do uh, end up cohabiting before marriage. So uh, just want to build on the right foundation, build on the right foundation. So once again, if you'd like to call us today, you can call 303-690-3000 or you can text 720-336-0897. Once again, you can call 30-690-3000 or text 720-336-0897. Uh, my name is Pastor Nate Morris from Mountain Life Calvary Chapel in Vail, Colorado. If you're ever out here on a ski vacation or something like that, we would love to see you at one of our Sunday morning services. Uh, we'd love to connect with you. And um, so for now, I'd like to go and take a look. It looks like we've got uh, Steve on line one. Steve, are you still with us? Uh, you, yes, I am. Steve, Good afternoon, sorry. Pastor Nate. Oh, thank you. Uh, um, sorry for the wait. Glad you could join us today. There's no problem at all. I enjoyed listening to the last call. It was uh, it was very enriching. Uh, uh, it's interesting. My wife and I were both uh, living together a little while before uh, uh, our marriage, and we had an opportunity to 
go to a justice of the peace about a month before, and uh, uh, we were married before going into the actual uh, church ceremony, and th- things just weren't right uh, until we had been joined by God. But yeah. that, that's another story in, entirely. My question was about uh, the nations of Israel and Judah. Uh, I read quite often that God was angry with those two nations, and uh, there's not as many questions in my mind about Israel, about their rebellion, but uh, what what was it that made God unhappy with 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 Judah? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I would say that primarily it was their idolatry, and they had uh, time after time after time they slipped back into idolatry, and God only put up with so much of it, and before He decided that it was too much. And the same thing was true of Israel. Uh, Israel fled from, I mean, really, Israel really walked away from the Lord earlier than Judah did. That's why we see Judah lasting. Israel was conquered by the Assyrians um, before Judah was conquered by Babylon. And ultimately, God just wouldn't stand for idolatry any longer. And so um, his, his displeasure with them was after hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of them saying, we'll do better, we'll do better, and then they didn't, and they kept turning back to their idols. Um, And, you know, ultimately, if you look at the history of it, he put them, you know, in Babylon, and they were exiled for 70 years, and then they came back, and you begin to see in that next period, the idolatry was not there to the same extent that it was before. Um, In fact, even when you see Jesus come on the scene, they were no longer idolatrous of idols. They had, they had put up such a firm line against idols that they actually now um, idolized the law. (laughs) But uh, that's another story for another day. But the, uh, the really the primary reason would be their idolatry. And what, if you read the book of Hosea, you get a good clear picture of what this is. Idolatry is, adultery essentially against God. It's cheating on God. And so he, um, when you read that book in Hosea, you see God's heart for Israel and for Judah. And you see his, his, the fact that his heart is broken over their idolatry. And you see that it's hurt him. And you see that he still keeps coming back and bringing them back. And even in that book, when he talks about the fact that he's ultimately going to cast them away, he says, I will I will allure you and I will bring you back and I will be your God. And that's what we see happening in the person of Jesus Christ as he brings people back to himself. But um, that would be the main thing that I see. Okay, that makes a whole lot of sense. I uh, I, I don't like uh, ranking sin uh, because the... Uh, the gracious uh, gift of of Jesus Christ and uh, His sacrifice uh, to save us essentially will save us from any of these uh, yeah. sins. Uh, um, and so I'm not worried about which one's worse. But uh, I just want to have a clear understanding of uh, some of the things that grieves uh, 
God and the Holy Spirit, and uh, so that I can address each one individually. Uh, I myself struggle with uh, with anger an awful lot, and uh, uh, I if there is prayer request uh, uh, time left, I would I would ask for prayer for that. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, let's let's do that for sure. Yeah, and I think that the the thing that was grievous about idolatry it wasn't just that it was going against God, but a lot of the idols that Israel and Judah worshipped were were gods that required human sacrifice. They were gods that required um, sexual immorality, and so that idolatry led to so many other sins that that caused hurt as well. So um, I think it's not necessarily a ranking of sin over one or the other with those, but just God, God's heart being broken time and time and time and time again. And ultimately, as much as he divorced in a sense from the nation, as much as he, he sent them away, that it was all part of his redemptive plan for anyone that will come to him to be redeemed for their sin. So, um, but yeah, let's definitely pray, Steve. Thank you for calling in. Let's just lift it up to the Lord right now. Lord, I just come before you for my brother, Steve, Lord, and I know, um, we all have sin, Lord. And it says in first John, anyone who says he does not sin is a liar and therefore a sinner because lying is a sin. And so Lord, we, um, just come before you and acknowledge that we are sinners and that we need a savior. And just as Steve uh, struggles with anger, Lord, I pray that you would just fill him with your spirit, that rather than the, the anger rising up, he would have the fruit of the spirit rising up, the um, joy and peace and love and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, which are not things that he can muster up by himself, Lord, but have to come by your spirit moving in him. So I pray that you would just give him that ability to surrender to your spirit and your guidance and control in his life and that he would experience those in increasing measure and that he would start to see that anger fade away. And so bring him before you, Lord, and for all of us that struggle with that or with other uh, fleshly attitudes, Lord, we want to submit those to you and we want to walk by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Pastor Nate. Yeah, thank you for calling in. All right, well, we are, we've got about eight minutes left and would love to take a couple more calls. Looks like we got a couple people on the line. Um, but just in case, if you'd like to text in your question, you can text us at 720-336-0897. I want to make sure to get to the people who actually called in and are on the line right now. Uh, let's go to, uh, is it Chastity or Charity? Chastity. Cassidy. Oh, cool. Perfect. Uh, awesome. Thanks for calling in. Hi. Um, I just had a quick question. Uh, hopefully, I was hoping that you can help me with. Um, we have a friend that is Muslim, and we talk to him about God all the time. And we were just, I uh, was just curious where in a, a question that came up, and I was just curious where in the Bible does Jesus state or say that he is God? Yeah, that's a great question. And you know, this is good not only for dialogue with Muslims, but also with Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons as well. Um, any group that doesn't believe that Jesus is God uh, explicitly, I think that this is a great uh, question. So thank you for calling in with that. Um, Muslims, it's interesting because they actually have a great respect for Jesus as a person. They believe that Jesus was a prophet uh, they actually believe that he was born of a virgin. 
but they don't believe that he's God and they actually don't believe they I think they even said that they believe that he was sinless if I remember correctly but they don't believe he was equivalent with Muhammad and they don't believe he's God and so um, a great way to bridge a conversation with a Muslim is to start talking about Jesus which to them is Isa I S S A Isa and uh, that's a good way to get talking and say I, I follow Isa I follow Jesus and you can kind of get down that line and start talking about who Jesus is which is where um, it sounds like you've gotten in your conversation so there's a couple things that I think that I would point out a lot of the language that would refer to Jesus as being God is found in the Gospel of John so I think on a very simple level, if you encourage your Muslim friend to read the Gospel of John, he will see the picture of Jesus calling himself God clearly portrayed throughout the Gospel of John. I mean, it starts with the very first verse in the very first chapter. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and nothing was made that was without him that was made. And it kind of goes on and explains that that was Jesus that was the word, right? Um, mm-hmm. But G- Jesus himself referring to himself as God, not just John or somebody else referring to him as God, takes place a few times. Um, in John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. So that's John chapter 10, verse 30, if you want to write that one down. And so to a Jew hearing him say that he and the Father are one, or a Muslim, I mean, for a Muslim to say, I am one, I and Allah are one, that's a that's a blasphemous statement for a Muslim to say. So Jesus to say this is saying that I'm God. It's very clear. Um, and their reaction in the very next verse in John 10:31 was to pick up stones to stone him to death to death and then Jesus asked them why they were attempting to stone him and they said for blasphemy because you a mere man claim to be god that's John chapter 10 verse 33 so John 10 verse 30 through verse 33 shows Jesus claiming to be god and it might not be explicitly saying i'm god he says i and the father are one but the jews knew what he meant and so they picked up stones to stone him to death and they said, you, are, you, a mere man, are claiming to be God. So that's, a, that's probably the most explicit claiming, claim of God, uh, of deity that Jesus makes, is John chapter 10, verse 30 through 33. Another one would be a couple chapters before that in John 8, chapter 5, 8 verse 58, um, where Jesus said, very truly, I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. And... Uh, this was essentially him saying, I am God. I am was the name of Yahweh. It's the name that Yahweh, God, gave himself. And um, for him to do that is to claim to be God. And he also, in that same statement, claimed to be have existed before Abraham was born. So for him to say, before Abraham was born, I am, is saying, I'm God. I've been around since before Abraham. And in the same occasion there in John chapter 8, um, the the Jews that were there tried to stone him for blasphemy again because he's claiming to be God, right? So those would be probably the, the places that I would start. You can get to some more places later on in the Gospel of John. 
um, John chapter 20, um, when Thomas finally realizes who Jesus is, he says, my Lord and my God, he's claim, he's, he is declaring Jesus to be God. And if Jesus wasn't God, he certainly would have corrected Thomas, right? <laughs> he would have said, no, no, I'm not God. God is God. Um, but he accepted Thomas's statement. And um, we see some other places in Matthew. We see the disciples worshiping Jesus after he walked on water, um, which if Jesus isn't God, he certainly wouldn't accept worship. So I think that, but the gospel of John is probably the best place to start. I would just give him the gospel of John and say, hey, here, look, John 10, um, 31 through 33, John 8, you know, 58, that whole section there. So um, does that answer your question? Yes, thank you very much. Yeah, no problem. Hopefully that's helpful. And I'll be, let's take a second. We're going to have to come up on the end of the program here in just a second. Let's take a second and just pray uh, for your Muslim friend right now. So Lord, we come before you when we lift up this, um, this precious soul that you love, that you died for on the cross, Lord, that is lost in this darkness. And we just ask right that you would reveal to them that you are God and that you died to save them from their sins and that they can't uh, be saved by keeping the five pillars of Islam. They can't be saved by being a good person, but only by the work that you did on the cross. And I pray that you would accept, have them, help them to accept that love and put their faith and their trust in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so very much. Yeah, thank you for calling in. Awesome. Well, I think we've got a couple other people on the line, but we are coming up on the end of the program. And so I'm sorry, we're not going to be able to get to your calls. Please call back tomorrow for Calvary Live. Uh, it's been a blessing hosting with you guys. I am filling in as a guest for a uh, few times over the next couple of months. So I'll be with you guys uh, next Wednesday and would love to uh, chat with you guys soon. All right. This is Pastor Nate Morris from Mountain Life Calvary Chapel signing off for the day. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's word.